Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to Good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Yesterday was Reformation Day. Today is All Saints Day. Um, What does that mean? What is a saint? Who is a saint? Are you a saint? I'm a saint. Right? I mean, not not a saint like uh, some group of people recognizes me in some special way, but a saint in the spirit of the Greek word, which just means to be set apart or consecrated to God. So in the New Testament, all Christians are included in the saints. You can think here about um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're a saint. All Saints Day. All right, so it's also known as The Feast of All Saints, celebrated each year on November the 1st in Western churches. It's also uh, the, uh, or celebrated on the first Sunday after Pentecost in Eastern churches. So again, one of those calendar things, not every Christian around the world is celebrating All Saints Day today. Um, But we do celebrate all the saints who from their labors rest, right? Those who are known to us and those who are unknown. And so it's a good opportunity for us to Remember um, those who have gone before us, those upon whose faith our faith is then built. It's an opportunity for um, us to consider uh, the sacrifices made by those um, saints who have, in the name of Christ and and for the cause of Christ, laid down their lives. And so I'm thinking uh, specifically today, you know, for those who have been martyred, which leads to a conversation with Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs. We're going to consider the plight of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world today. November the 6th, which is now fast approaching, today's November the 1st, so November the 6th is going to be this coming Sunday, is the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians. And so when you think about um, our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering because of their faith, these saints— How are we sharing with them um, in their suffering? And how are we celebrating their stories? And how might we serve them? Um, Yes, in prayer, but in tangible ways as well. We're going to talk with Todd Nettleton next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Nettleton is joining us from Voice of the Martyrs. You can find what we're discussing today and lots of resources at persecution.com. Todd, welcome back. 
Thanks so much. It's great to be with you. It seems a little strange to have a day on the calendar when we are um, lifting up and focusing on persecuted Christians, um, because I feel like every day, every day, we should be um, aligning our prayers with those who are suffering because of the name of Jesus. But November the 6th, coming up this Sunday, is International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians. Talk with us about this particular day and the resources available at persecution.com for those who, um, you know, might not be ready yet to participate. Well, you know, I'm glad you said that, that that it should be every day, and I hope that's true, too. In fact, that's kind of the only thing I don't like about the International Day of Prayer. It's like, okay, we've marked that off our calendar. We'll see you guys again next November, and it's like, wait, they're being persecuted every day. We have to pray through the year. The International Day of Prayer was created as a response to persecuted Christians' number one request. When we go and we sit down with them and we drink tea and we hear their stories and then we say, hey— in my case, I say, hey, I'm going to go back to America. I'm going to I'm going to be on Christian radio stations. I'm going to tell people about your story. How can they help you? The first thing they say every time I ask that question, and I've been asking it now for 24 years, the first thing they say is pray for us. So the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians is a direct response to their number one request that we pray for them. And the humbling thing to me is that they're not asking, hey, pray that we won't be persecuted anymore. Pray that, you know, our government will change and everything will be free and open and it'll be wonderful. What they're asking us to pray is pray that I'll be faithful to Christ in spite of the persecution, in spite of the suffering. So you mentioned resources. Persecution.com has a video about a lady named Rebecca from Nigeria. It tells her true story to kind of put a face on the people that we're praying for. There's also uh, some slides. If you want to have kind of a guided prayer time, there are slides with specific prayer requests. There's a church bulletin insert. Uh, There's even a sermon outline. If you're a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a Bible study leader and you say, hey, uh, I want to tie this into our lesson. Let's look at what the scriptures say about persecuted Christians. There's resources for that too. And most of these, almost all of them are free and downloadable. So even if you wait till Saturday night and think, oh, wait, it's tomorrow, you can still go online and download the resources. So persecution.com, and it is right at the top of the page right now, the International Day of Prayer resources. Okay, one of my favorite things is the Global Prayer Guide. Um, And I love um, how this has changed over time and now how interactive this is. Um, You can scroll over the map um, and click on a country or you can go down the page and you can find a country alphabetically, maybe that God has specifically laid on your heart, or you've seen, um, you know, the name of uh, of a country in the news, and you say to yourself, "Gosh, I don't, I don't even have any idea what the situation of my Christian brothers and sisters um, is in that particular place." And so, you know, today, um, you know, you might uh, you might be thinking about. I don't know. Let me click on one. Maybe you're thinking today about the people of Yemen Um, and you would click on that and it would it would talk about Christian persecution in Yemen and invite you specifically um, how to pray. And it's going to talk there about, uh, you know, since I just clicked on Yemen, um, for many years, the people of Yemen have suffered from civil wars and violence from Islamic extremists, including Al Qaeda. Although the situation has further deteriorated since the start of the most recent civil war, the gospel has flourished and many Yemeni Muslims have come to know Christ. Talks then about Yemeni Christians who have become bolder in their outreach efforts. 
although it's still an extremely dangerous uh, place to be identified as a Christian. Talks there about the major religion and how people are experiencing specifically uh, persecution in this place, what it means to be a follower of Christ in Yemen, uh, restricted access to the word and then the work um, of Voice of the Martyrs. And then specific prayer requests, how you can pray specifically for people in the ways that they have asked for us to pray as their brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. So one of my favorite aspects of um, the the website of The Voice of the Martyrs, persecution.com, is this global prayer guide, which might be a way for you to be personally equipped to participate in the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians this coming Sunday. Um, Todd, tell us Rebecca's story, because it is very, very powerful. It is very powerful. Rebecca is a Christian woman in northern Nigeria. Uh, She was away from her village when it was attacked by Boko Haram. Uh, Her husband and her son were killed in that attack. Their home was burned to the ground. Uh, But when she went, was going through the, the rubble of her home, she found her Bible. Now, this is a very significant Bible to her because it was given to her and her husband on their wedding day as a wedding gift. Hey, we want you to build your Christian family on the Word of God. Here is a copy of the Bible for you. And that Bible survived the fire miraculously. Uh, you know, it's a little charred. In some of Genesis, the first few pages got a little charred, but it is still there. It is still readable. In fact, to this very day, she reads every day out of that charred Bible that she was able to pull from the rubble of her home. And, uh, you know, this video this year illustrates a lot of different aspects of things we can pray for. You think about a widow who has been left a widow by a persecution attack. You think about the importance of God's Word for our persecuted brothers and sisters and uh, the need to pray that Bibles can be delivered in places like northern Nigeria and China and Iran and other places around the world. I also think about uh, the children who have been left without a father or without a mother because of persecution. So lots of different things that come out of her story. And this video is very short. It's it's less than six minutes long, perfect to show in a Sunday morning service, perfect to show in a Bible study group, in a Sunday school class, even around your breakfast table for your family devotions. This will work for that as well. So a great way, like I say, to put a face on the people that we're praying for around the world. Um, Todd, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, there are folks asking, um, you know, how we can be praying for our Christian brothers and sisters in some parts of the world where we have been reading um, headlines of late. And so I'm going to invite you to help us turn toward Iran and China here next. We're talking with Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs. You can find resources uh, for you to be more equipped to be praying for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world and also um, you know, equipping them um, in tangible ways as well at persecution.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do every morning on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. I don't want you to miss any of it. So check out the free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. One of the things I would like for you to consider is becoming a Faith Radio ambassador. We talk about walking our faith out into the world that God so loves and doing so in ways that honor Jesus. Well, that's because we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. You can become a Faith Radio ambassador today and help us get the word out to others about this and other programs on the Faith Radio Network. 
Uh, We will supply everything that you need to share with others, and you can sign up to be a Faith Radio ambassador at MyFaithRadio.com. I'll be singing with the saints at the morning light, ringing in the day because there is no night, saying goodbye to the heartache. Continuing our conversation with Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs, you can find Todd and lots of resources at Persecution.com. Todd, um, when we uh, when we read about, let's say, the protests on the streets of Iran, um, you know, obviously our concern is for everyone involved, but we're very concerned for our Christian brothers and sisters in Iran. So, how how do the protests in um, in the streets connect to you know the fastest growing church in the world? Well, this is the uh, the thing the the context for our listeners to understand what they're seeing. The thing you have to remember about Iran is the government is Islam. The leaders of the government are the Islamic mullahs. They have told the people since 1979, we are going to run our country according to Islamic principles, according to what the Quran says. Well, we're now 40 years down that road, and you have a government that is corrupt. You have an economy that's in shambles. You have one of the highest drug addiction rates in the entire world. And the people who are marching in the streets against their government They're marching against Islam because Islam is the government. They're saying Islam doesn't work. When you see the ladies taking off their headscarves, they're saying, we don't want to be Muslims anymore. We don't want to follow the Muslim laws anymore. And so what that shows is the hunger that they have for something different. Now, there are actually Christians. I I had a text conversation with a Christian in Iran just last week. He said there are Christians out among the protesters not necessarily to protest, but to say, hey, we know you want something different from Islam. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about a different way. There are also broadcast ministries broadcasting the gospel into Iran every single day, answering those questions. So I think as you see this, just remember, marching against the government is marching against Islam, and and the government is responding. I just read a headline this morning. A thousand people have been charged. They're planning to put them on trial this week, Uh, and one, at least one, has already been sentenced to die for his role in these protests. So the government said they they understand this very well. This is a direct threat to them, and they're responding with the way they see as appropriate. But just keep in mind, the people are are tired of Islam. They want something different. I mean, so many opportunities there to um, to be praying um, as God is is softening hearts. Um, you know, for for Christians, as you say, to be right there, ready to offer the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm also recognizing um, the very real danger. Uh, I mean, in terms of you know life and livelihood that people. Are in um, and just the fragility of life and and lifting up um, all of those concerns as well. So Todd, thank you for that perspective. Let's pivot to China. Um, you know, China is expressly, I mean, like being communist is the religion, like that's the state religion in China. So when we think of Xi Jinping um, being given this third term as the chair of the Chinese Communist Party. Um, you know, look with us at what that means, what that portends for Christians in China. Well, as you look back on the first two terms of Xi Jinping's leadership of the Communist Party, what you see is more 
Christian persecution. You see more churches being closed down, more pastors being arrested. You see the persecution spread not only in unregistered churches, those that the government hasn't sanctioned, but even within the sanctioned three self-patriotic churches. There have been pastors arrested. There have been churches closed down. You see a, a government that wants to control everything about everyone, uh, including, and we've seen over the last couple of years, cameras. They want cameras in the church building to show the worshipers, to show who showed up, how passionate were they. So for Christians in China who have been watching the, the Communist Party Congress and have seen Xi Jinping accept this term for five more years, and uh, from everybody who is a close China watcher, there's not a successor on the radar, at least at this point. So it's not like he said, this is just going to be five more. It's probably at least 10 more. If you're a Christian in China, you know what that means. More persecution, more challenges, more churches closed, more laws against religion. In the last year, they have passed new laws about online religious expression. Uh, even a Zoom Bible study is now illegal. The government can come in, shut you down, take away your internet service, even put you in jail for doing things online that are religious. And now they're looking at at least five more years of that kind of control. And in the midst of all of that, it's not just Christians being uh, being persecuted. I mean, we're certainly you know continuing to have an awareness and a concern for the Uyghur population, which is a a minority Muslim population in the western provinces of China. Um, when we think of religious persecution, you know, we often think of Christians, but religious persecution isn't just against Christians in places like China. It's not. And I'm I'm really glad the way you introduced this by saying the religion of China is the Communist Party. Uh, I'll never forget a conversation with a Chinese pastor many years ago when I was in China. And he said, the Communist Party wants you to believe that salvation comes by being a good communist, by waking up every morning and thinking, how can I honor the party today? How can I further the goals of the party today? That's how you get salvation. Now, we know salvation comes through Christ alone. Uh, and so that is a that's a bad message for the Communist Party. That says there is another way. That says there is another leader. There is someone else you should follow. Now, Xi Jinping was a persecutor of Christians when he was a leader at the provincial level. His province was one of those that was known for persecuting Christians and for a lack of religious freedom. He sees that. I genuinely believe he sees that as a part of his recipe for success. How did I get promoted from provincial leader to the leader of the whole country? Well, part of it was I controlled religious expression. My government put a lid on on religious freedom. So he has now brought that philosophy to his role as the leader of the Communist Party, his role as the leader of the country. And he is saying, we have to put a lid on religious expression. We have to control the Muslims in Western China. We have to control the growth of Christianity. Those things are a direct threat to the party. They're a direct threat to the stability of our country. We have to control them. And he has brought that to the national level. It is being driven from Beijing. They are sending out trainers all over the country from Beijing, telling the local police and the local authorities this is how you have to do this. Um, so it is not going away in the next five years. Um, in the in the few seconds that we have left, I just want to invite people to check out iCommitToPray.com. 
icommittopray.com. This is um, one of the ways that you can connect with through Voice of the Martyrs at persecution.com to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. And you can join um, with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ from, well, I'm looking at the number right now, 167 nations um, who have posted prayers, um, almost a half a million prayers it's a place to gather and pray for the persecuted church, um, to read prayer requests from around the world, and then post your own prayers specifically for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted. If you're looking for one more way to um, to participate in the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians and, and then do so in an ongoing way as well, because it's not just one day a year. So let's join in this November the 6th, but let's join in every day of the year as well. Um, Todd from Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs has been with us. Todd, thank you so much um, for our visit today and for what you do every single day. You are welcome, Carmen. It's always great to be with you. Likewise. All right, all of those resources available for you at persecution.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. It's all God's children singing glory, glory. Hallelujah, he reigns. Okay, so how are you listening right now? I mean, you're going to say, well, I'm listening with my ears and I'm listening with my heart. Yes. Okay. That's wonderful. How are you listening? Are you listening on a, a terrestrial radio signal? Like, are you tuned into a radio station right now? And is that how you think about faith radio? I mean, you know, that is how we started and that is still how we uh, we do it um, via like actual radio signals. Um, Maybe you are listening on 90.7 FM um, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, or AM 900. Maybe you're listening at uh, 90.5 FM in Duluth Superior. Maybe you're listening at 94.1 FM or AM 1290 in Hartford, Connecticut. Maybe on 104.7 Um, FM or AM 1190 in Madison, Wisconsin. Maybe you're listening in Waterloo on 93.1 FM or AM 1190. You know, I could go on, right? Maybe you're listening on an actual radio signal in Sioux Falls uh, or in Fargo-Moorhead, in Bismarck, in Rapid City, South Dakota, in Des Moines. I mean, on and on and on, right? There are actual radio signals out there. But maybe you're listening online, at MyFaithRadio.com, streaming while you are a part of the digital listening community. And maybe you're listening via the Faith Radio app. Now, the Faith Radio app is what I'm going to encourage every single person to download today. Why? Because we're entering that time of year when, specifically those of you who listen on AM signals, mm -hmm, we are moving into what's called the low power time of the year. Low power. And that means that You can't hear like the whole first hour of the show. And that makes me sad. And so I I want you to be able to listen. I don't want you to, you know, be listening in your house because you've told Alexa, right, that you want to listen to Faith Radio and you want to listen to Mornings with Carmen. And so in there, you know, it's clear as a bell. But then you get in your car and it's like, yeah, that's sad. That's just sad. If you download the Faith Radio app, you can have a clear signal all the time, everywhere around the world. Yeah, in your home, in your car, doesn't matter how far away you go, how far you roam, 
I can roam with you, and I would like to. So download the Faith Radio app today. Super easy to do. You can do it at MyFaithRadio.com. You can just go to the um, app store and look for Faith Radio. Um, And, you know, it's like a purple circle, for lack of a better description, for what you're looking for in terms of the little logo. All right. Thank you for those of you texting in. Jacqueline, who's listening on uh, AM 900. Yeah, you got to download the app. You got to download the app. Rita, listening at uh, KNWC AM. You got to download the app because those are going to be low power as it gets darker and later in the year. So there you go. Download the app so you never miss a beat. Hey, Rebecca McLaughlin is going to join us next. We've talked with her um, on a prior occasion about her wildly successful and influential book, Confronting Christianity. She's now back with a follow-up book called Confronting Jesus. Think you know Jesus? Rebecca wants you to think again. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Rebecca McLaughlin is joining us now. You will remember and recall her as the author of Confronting Christianity, an excellent uh, apologetics conversation from a couple of years ago. Still a great book um, for those of you who, you know, want to be equipped, um, you know, for the conversations of the day. She joins us today with a follow-up book. This one is Confronting Jesus. Rebecca, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. It's wonderful to have you. So um, let's talk a little bit about how this is a follow-on to the first book. Remind us about Confronting Christianity. And then um, why is Confronting Jesus like the most important next step for a person who's exploring who Jesus really is? Mm, Great question. I I wrote Confronting Christianity sort of as a love letter to my non-Christian friends, uh, trying to explain to them why some of the big reasons they have for not even considering Jesus Um, are actually not, when you look more closely, they're not roadblocks to faith in him, but actually signposts. So that book is is written to my non-Christian friends and and to your non-Christian friends and addressing things like, um, how can you say there's only one truth? Isn't Christianity against diversity? Um, Doesn't Christianity denigrate women? Isn't Christianity homophobic? And things like that, helping people to think carefully about the difference between holding to Christian sexual ethics and being hateful toward um, people who identify as gay or lesbian. Um, so, so bringing some nuance, but some hopefully strong biblical truth to, to many of these conversations. Confronting Jesus is a little bit like a, a next step. So say you had a friend who maybe had worked through some of those questions with you and was ready to think seriously about Jesus, but perhaps not quite ready to pick up a Bible for themselves and just start reading one of the Gospels. So Confronting Jesus is, again, written to non-Christians, primarily with the hope that Christians will read it for themselves, share it with a friend, and it looks at 12, I'm sorry, nine different um, angles on Jesus, I guess, that we, we get in, in the gospel accounts of his life and um, how they help us to understand who he is. Okay, so we're going to jump into confronting Jesus here in just a moment. But in the spirit, in the spirit of what you are inviting us to do, I um, went and read some biographical material about Rebecca from her own website, And this was my way of like, all right, can I get to know her a little bit better before she comes on the show? And you say there are two things that have always fascinated you, the power of words and the message of the gospel. Rebecca Mm -hmm. says of herself on her website, which uh, you can check out at RebeccaMcLaughlin.org, 
Um, She says this, I love exploring the message of Jesus with broken people, which is all of us, and I long to be part of the rediscovery of the Christian faith as an intellectual movement. Okay, so that tells me um, a lot about you. You go on then to talk about your first book, where you grew up, um, when you moved to America, what you've been doing since you came to America in 2008, and who your people are, Um, you know, your husband and your kids and your friends. So um, if I were to bother to do the same about Jesus, and I were to go to Jesus's, you know, today, uh, the equivalent of Jesus's own website, I wouldn't be able to read what he wrote about himself. I would have to read what his best friends, those who walked with him in life and witnessed him in death and resurrection, wrote about him. Talk about why we need to go to the Gospels of Matthew, mm-hmm. Mark, Luke, and John to to really confront Jesus. Mm. Yeah, a couple of weekends ago, I went to a friend of mine's funeral. Um, she was a wonderful follower of Jesus, died in her 60s. And at her funeral, a number of people spoke, including her um, husband who died 10 years earlier, his his brother. And her brother-in-law had known my friend Grace and his brother, obviously, um, her husband Ravi, since they were kids. They, they met when they were like five and six in, in Sunday school in, in Malaysia, and they, he'd seen their relationship unfold. He'd been there at their wedding. He'd had many conversations with them along the years. And he was, was telling us things about Grace and conversations he'd had and things that he'd seen her do and say, um, some of which were from actually quite recently and others of which were from decades ago. In the Gospels of of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have a little bit of a similar situation where we have people who um, have gone around and talked with eyewitnesses who had lived with Jesus over many years, who had seen what he was doing, whose kind of full-time job, actually, as his disciples was to learn his teachings and to remember the things that he said. Uh, The Gospel authors have, have gone around those people and written down their stories for us, their testimony about Jesus for us. So that we're not having to guess at, at who Jesus is and what he really said. And we're not, it's not like, you know, Jesus said these things long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away and people are trying to reconstruct it centuries later. It's actually the people who knew him and, and followed him and, and listened to him day after day who are then writing down the things that he said and did for us today to be able to access that testimony. All right, we're talking with Rebecca McLaughlin. We're talking about her newest book, Confronting Jesus. Um, This really is the account, these encounters that people had with uh, Jesus, who Rebecca describes as the hero of the gospel. And yes, we're giving away copies today. Uh, You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. All right, Rebecca, if we um, jump in and examine with you what these four gospel writers have to say about Jesus, these eyewitness testimonies, um, who are we going to meet? Like, who is the Jesus we're going to encounter? People sometimes say, well, I know Jesus was a great teacher, but he he never really claimed to be God, and that maybe the, the claims about him have been exaggerated over time. One of the things we'll discover as, as we sit down with the Gospels and look at them more closely is that, yes, he is a, an amazing teacher, but we cannot escape the claim that he made that he really is the, the creator God made flesh. And in fact, if you sit down, if you sort of read his, his teachings in the New Testament, in, in the Gospels, you will find yourself inescapably in drawn to that conclusion. So there's actually no way for us to recognize that Jesus was a great teacher without recognizing the, the crazy and outrageous and shocking claims that he made about himself and that he made about us. 
Um, but I think there are also some, some other sort of surprising things we'll discover if we look closely at the hero of the Gospels. For instance, that he is is positioning himself as a servant, or even to put it more kind of bluntly, um, as a slave. He famously said um, that even he, the Son of Man, one of his favorite ways of talking about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this would have been especially shocking in, in its first century context, where there was a strong sort of division between masters and, and slaves, and where the idea of someone taking on a, a slave's role and dying a death most associated with slaves, which was what crucifixion was, that the idea that the God of all the universe, the sort of rightful king of all the world, would do that is utterly shocking in ways that we today, because we're kind of used to the idea to some extent, we can't even get our, our heads around how outrageous and um, shocking and offensive that claim would have been, but also how, how utterly beautiful and stunning and sort of um, paradigm-changing that that kind of move of the Son of God is to, to not just come um, to be served, but to give his life. When, um, when we think about Jesus and we think about uh, what the gospel writers um, say about Jesus and how, um, how that information is collected, we have a listener who wants to, wants to have you reflect on the movement from oral to written tradition um, and the mm. actual writing of these. So can we do that next when we come back? Mm. Yeah. All right. We're talking with Rebecca McLaughlin. Um, one of the things that Rebecca is really going to help you do is think about what you're thinking about, particularly when you're thinking about Jesus and when you're thinking about Christianity and what that means and who you are as a Christian, um, as a thinking person, as a disciple of Jesus Christ in the world today. She's also particularly interested in those who don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, and how we who do know Jesus represent him to those who don't. So all of that is wound up in this conversation. You should connect with Rebecca at her website, RebeccaMcLaughlin.org. We're going to continue our conversation about confronting Jesus here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. He makes a way where there ain't no way. Rises up from an empty grave. Ain't no sinner that he can save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Rebecca McLaughlin is here. You can connect directly with her at her website, RebeccaMcLaughlin.org. We're talking today about her newest book, Confronting Jesus. This is a follow-on to Confronting Christianity, the 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. Confronting Jesus is nine encounters with the hero of the gospel. And yes, we're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. All right, Rebecca, we have a listener who is wondering, all right, um, can can Rebecca address the movement from oral to written tradition? What do we really have in the Gospels? And aren't Paul's letters or Peter's letters older? Why wouldn't we look at Jesus in those? <laughs> so there you go. Mm. You know, the smarty, oh, the smarty pants are awake. Mm-hmm, they're up. I love it. 
<laughs> yes, yeah, so, so people often talk as if there was this long period of, of quote, oral transmission before the Gospels were written down, and they compare it uh, to uh, the telephone game that kids play. You know that one where mm. one kid, you know, you mm. whisper a message to one child, they whisper it to the next person, it goes around the chain, and of course gets corrupted along the way, and to the last child's, what they say, is completely different from what the first child said. They say, you know, the Gospels are like that. They were written decades after the events that they they describe, and so we can't actually be, um, ser- we can't take them seriously as as accurate testimony about Jesus. But here's the thing: as I as I mentioned earlier, um, from going to my friend Grace's um, funeral, I was I was li- listening to someone who knew her well and was recounting things some some things from several decades ago, some things from you know as much as sixty years ago. Um, the, the Gospels in our Bibles, um, most experts believe that Mark was written between 35 and 45 years after the events that it records. Some, some Christian scholars would say even earlier, but this, this is even skeptical scholars would say about 35 to 45 years. John's Gospel, the latest, is generally thought to, to have been written about 60 years after the events that it records. And depending on how old you are listening to this, you may, you may or may not think that's a long time. You know, my grandparents who are in their 80s, vividly remember the things that happened in, in their you know, teens and 20s, more than 60 years ago. Not because they remember everything that happened then, but they remember the kind of life-changing conversations, the major events. They're able to tell us stories that they've told over decades to different family members, the same as they, they ever told them, because this is you know, their, their memories. So the, the Gospels were written down while the, the first witnesses of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection were still walking around. And, and in fact, some scholars would say they were written down precisely because that generation would soon die out. And so they needed to write down the testimony quickly to make sure that we have that preserved. But it, it's not like, um, you know, one witness told somebody else, who told somebody else, who told somebody else, who told somebody else, who then wrote down the Gospels. Actually, no, the Gospel authors are going straight to the, the horse's mouth. And when we see names in the Gospels, you know, many people are going to be anonymous. When we see particular names, it's often because the Gospel author is pi- pointing us to an eyewitness. And saying, you know, I got this Mary Magdalene, for example, go and ask her if you, if you don't believe me. It's, it's a way of citing their sources. So, in fact, we can be pretty confident that the, the Gospels are giving us accurately the eyewitness testimony that the, the authors received. Now, there's another question about some of the epistles, for example, some of Paul's epistles or letters being written even earlier than the Gospels. And that's true. Um, I, that doesn't actually take away from the validity of the Gospels. In fact, it, it reinforces it because... One of the arguments people make is, you know, the claims about Jesus just got exaggerated over time. You know, one to begin with, he's just a charismatic preacher, and then people start saying he did miracles, and before you know it, they're saying he rose from the dead. In actual fact, if you read Paul's epistles, some of the earliest, probably the earliest writings we have from the New Testament time, um, you, you'll find that Paul goes on and on and on about Jesus's resurrection. <laughs> So, so if it was true that there was a sort of mythology that grew up over time about Jesus and the crowning glory of it was the, res- you know, the fact that he was raised from the dead, it's very weird that that's a claim made centrally in the very first writings we have about Jesus at all. So the epistles actually confirm and reinforce what we're told about Jesus in the Gospels. I love that. And um, had I answered the question, I, 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 I might have started where you ended. And so I'm glad, um, I'm glad that's... Uh, that's what we're emphasizing, because I feel like when we talk about the oral tradition of the early church, you know, we are talking about some of those things that Paul certainly includes and reiterates, um, and that we might even think of as as kind of creedal 
um, mm. in terms of, of the statements that are included there, and they all emphasize the death and resurrection of Jesus and exactly what happens yeah. in and through those. So, yeah, really, really good. Thank you so much. Um, all right, so um, give us a little taste. We've got a couple of minutes for you to give us a little taste of an encounter with Jesus as a hero of the gospel. Just highlight um, one of them so people can kind of get a little nibble of what's in the book. Mm. Well, I'll pick a controversial one then. I, I, there's a chapter called Jesus the Lover. And what I'm trying to explain in that chapter is the fact that any, at, at its very best, any human relationship will only ever be a glimpse or a, a taste or an echo of God's love for us shown in, shown in Jesus Christ. Um, we're all probably familiar with the idea that God reveals himself as, as father um, through, through the scriptures. And so in the absolute best human father, we get a tiny echo of God's fatherly love for us. But we're less familiar with the, the reality that both in the Old Testament, God is, is often depicted as a loving, faithful husband to Israel, his often unfaithful wife. Then Jesus comes in the Gospels and says that he is the bridegroom. It's one of the ways he's sort of stepping into the shoes of the creator God revealed in the Old Testament. Uh, and then we see you know, in Paul's letter to the, the Ephesians how Christian marriage is, is pictures a little sort of scale model of Jesus' love for his church. And even in the book of Revelation, we see this great shout going out, the wedding of the Lamb has come, and Jesus' marriage to his church brings heaven and earth back together. So this is actually what, what Christian um, marriage is, is all about. It's, a, it's about picturing Jesus' relationship with his church. And, and people to, today, um, for different reasons than, than in the first century, when they also thought Christian sexual ethics was super weird, but people today think it's super weird that we Christians say marriage um, is only an exclusive covenant between a man and a woman, and sex only belongs in marriage. It sort of seems like an odd thing to say. But actually, the, the, the reason for that is that it's, it, marriage is built around the gospel. It's not a sort of random um, set of rules that God gave us. It, it's a particular picture of, of Jesus' love. But if we look carefully at the Gospels, we'll find it's, it's also not the only picture of Jesus' love. So on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus said these stunning words, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he says this, greater love has no one than this, than that he laid down his life for his friends. And so what we see in the Gospels and in the, the entirety of the New Testament is this vision of of friendship, which is not exclusively, but actually typically and, and often at its best, sort of same-sex friendship, as a different kind of love that gives us a different kind of glimpse of Jesus's love for us. And one of the things that we've, I think, got wrong in, in much modern culture is sort of conflating the different kinds of love that we should be, um, that should be available to us as, as Christians, as if they're all the same thing. You know, the modern mantra that love is love. Actually, the, the New Testament says, no, God is love. And he reveals himself to us as as that love in different kinds of human relationship. So I don't know if you've ever heard of Julie Slattery, but she uh-huh. wrote a book called God, Sex, and Your Marriage. And she has a podcast called Authentic Intimacy. And you ought to give that talk that you just gave on that podcast. I've, I'm I've just actually saying. been on that podcast. Oh, I've missed it. All right. I've missed, <laughs> we, I've missed we, that we episode. I'm going to go back and find it. Like, right? Because that... You are the two of you are saying the same thing from really very different perspectives in terms of yeah. um you know your your professional approach and um and the things that God has called you into and but I I mean as you're saying that I'm like 
oh, this sounds exactly like it fits with what Julie says in her book. And I, yeah. Wow. That's so exciting. I'm so glad you've already it's been on. Well, there it's you go. Bible. It's, it's not my because idea. it's in the Bible and we're all, that's yeah. right. So yeah. Wow. Um, what a delight. What a joy. Um, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you for this book. Thank you for um, the way that you approach the conversation with um, you know, such a concern to get the interpretation of Scripture right and accurate, like you've a real concern um, for that and bringing that forward and not just sort of your, you know, own set of, of opinions. So thank you, Rebecca. It's such a delight. Um, we loved Confronting Christianity. This book is Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with a Hero of the Gospel. Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin is the author. You can find her online at RebeccaMcLaughlin.org. Yes, we're giving away books today, 877-933-2484. You just text the word book to that number. That's all the time we have here today. I'm going to invite you to um, visit my revamped website and give me some feedback as well, CarmenLaburge.com. Let me know what you think. Have a great All Saints Day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.